You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at the Washington Post. Nearly 10 years after the murder of 20 children at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, the nation is shocked again, this time over the killing of 19 children at an elementary school in Texas. Then as now, there are pleas for gun, gun safety legislation. Nothing happened then, but will something happen now? Let's ask Mariana Sotomayor, congressional reporter at the Washington Post. Mariana, welcome back to First Look. Thanks for having me. So is Congress considering enacting any new gun safety laws after this latest massacre? They are considering it, but whether something happens is the question. You know, a lot of reporters waking up on Wednesday, kind of recapping the day that was on Tuesday and asking that same question. We have been here before. We have seen Congress, especially senators, try and come together, hash out a deal. But the you know policies of, of the right, policies of the left have kind of prevented them from being able to find a resolution. Not that that hasn't existed in the past, it just has made it difficult with some of the margins that we've seen on the House side and on the Senate side to actually be able to pass legislation. Of course, the Senate is really where all the attention is because that's where you can get those 10 Republican senators possibly on a potential deal. This does feel different though. I think you know, just how many people, many Americans were shocked. We've seen many mass shootings, but it just hits differently when you see so many kids get shot and killed in a situation like this. And that tone has definitely mobilized a number of senators who, you know, have have tried to get to the negotiating table before, but just haven't in recent days. And some people who are actually motivating that conversation are, of course, Senator Chris Murphy, who was a member of the House representing Newtown, Connecticut, when Sandy Hook happened almost 10 years ago. And you've also seen Senator Mitch McConnell, the, the minority leader in the Senate, actually tell Senator John Cornyn, hey, you kind of have my blessing to to start negotiating with Democrats. So you are seeing a bipartisan group come together. They had their first meeting yesterday to kind of just talk things out. And someone who was in that room, of course, Senator Joe Manchin, I think his feeling actually encapsulated where many senators are. He told reporters, you know, I just can't stop thinking about my own grandkids. I can't stop thinking about my grandkids. And that is a lot of where members, senators are thinking, maybe it's time to do something. That was a, a, a terrific um, um, capsulation of everything that's happening. And yet I find myself going back to those days after Newtown when we had never seen anything like that before, a mass shooting of children at an elementary school. And folks then thought, this is it. This is the moment where Congress is going to move. Pat Toomey, Republican of Pennsylvania, and Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, trying to hammer out, I believe it was, a background checks uh, law, and they couldn't even get that done. So, Mariana, my question is, given that the Senate now is on recess, a Memorial Day recess, until June 6th, will all those feelings, all those moves by McConnell, by Manchin, by Chris Murphy, who is the one who's really driving this effort, will the momentum behind all of that still be there by the time they come back on June 6th? 
a lot of people are hoping so, but they know, again, different scenario, very politicized issue, things have tended to just kind of dissipate. There does seem, again, to, ha to be this feeling of urgency, but that could possibly lessen as the days goes on. You've seen a number of House Democrats in particular pushing leadership and telling them, hey, I don't care about my Memorial Day recess. We should all be coming back and trying to negotiate, try and package together something to make sure that that momentum does not go away. And, you know, privately and even publicly, you've heard many senators and members of Congress since Sandy Hook. There's been so many mass shootings on different scales. And privately, they've said, you know, if we can't, if we couldn't, pass gun reform when 20 little kids were murdered in Newtown, Connecticut. I don't think we're going to be able to address the issues at hand with this shooting and that shooting. So there is also that feeling of, yeah, we couldn't do it then. But there is some feeling of regret from some members that they weren't able to get it done that is fueling some of these renewed conversations. Which stands a better chance of actually perhaps maybe even getting a vote? Is it something along the lines of a background checks law or red flag laws, or is it something else? So those are two pieces of policy, essentially, that are under discussion. There have been numerous bills that have come forth to address background checks. They actually, two of them passed the House early last year and they would close the Charleston loophole that would essentially, if we all remember the Charleston shooting, the gunman there was able to essentially get his get a gun that he purchased without a completed background check because you can get a gun after three days it, that the legislation currently would extend that time frame, I believe, to 10 days. There's also conversations of, you know, gun show loopholes being able to make sure that people who buy either guns online at these gun shows would also get background checks. That, of course, those two bills never came up in the Senate. Um, they are now under discussion, but there are some parts to those two pieces of legislation that Republicans don't necessarily like. They want to make sure, for example, that when it comes to the gun show loophole, they think it's a little too broad in the sense that you know, family members should be able to sell arms to other family members. They would want to make sure that those caveats are there. But there there are some senators like like Pat Toomey, who is retiring, who would be open to, you know, some kind of gun show sales loophole, closing those loopholes. There's also those red flag laws. That's actually a conversation coming out more so on the House side that, you know, a lot of Democrats say that could help the, the Republican argument of, you know, this is just about mental health. Well, red flag laws would essentially allow family members as well as law enforcement officers to go to a court. There's discussions about, you know, do you go to a federal court? Can you go to a state court? Should states be able to implement these laws in the ways that they want? Um, but it would essentially allow them to, if they're approved, to take arms away from mentally disturbed people, people who have just expressed changes in their character and their demeanor and pose a threat to themselves and others. So those are the kinds of things that are under discussion. Things like banning us, like uh, semi-automatic assault rifles, things like that. Democrats know as much as they would want that to happen. It's just not going to bring Republicans to the table. I um, mean, the time that we have left, let's talk about President Biden and the role he could possibly play in the negotiations. Dana, Hugh, welcome back to First Look. Thank you, John. 
Good to see you, Jonathan. So uh, hours after the Evalde, Texas shooting, and just after landing from his trip in Asia, President Biden addressed the nation. Let's listen. Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone to have the courage to deal with it and stand up to the lobbies? It's time to turn this pain into action. I would love for each of you to give your reactions. Hugh, you go first. Um, your reactions to the, to the president's uh, words there. Well, I, I think the president did his best to try and uh, set the stage for some doable legislation. Your previous conversation, I, I think the doable thing is to combine the spending clause with an incentive for a red flag law that is constitutional in every uh, state. And they, they passed in some places. They didn't work in Buffalo where uh, the killer at the supermarket didn't get the red flag he deserved. But the answer that I think a vast majority of Americans would support are more armed police at schools. It's expensive, but it's effective. Uh, I wanted to make sure that everyone reads the Matt Vespa column where he details 2021 Hinckley High School, 2018 Dixon High School, 2018 Grand Mills High School, 2018 Forest Hill High School, and 2013 Arapahoe High School. Police officers stop killers in the parking lot. We need more police in schools. Dana? Uh, well, look, uh, President Biden, I think, uh, spoke for the uh, pain of the nation, uh, for the frustration uh, of the nation. Uh, there is, I think, uh, very little hope that we're going to see uh, much of anything uh, come out of this uh, broken Senate. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, I, 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 I appreciate uh, Hugh's uh, uh, notions of uh, uh, more police in schools. Uh, and, and indeed, maybe in certain circumstances that has helped. We've had, I believe, according to the Washington Post count, uh, 320 uh, school uh, shootings uh, since uh, Columbine. Uh, and it's, it's just uh, it's an awful time uh, for our entire culture. I don't think what you can call happening right now uh, in the Senate are negotiations. I think it's just a question of whatever the Republicans are going to say they will allow uh, to happen, uh, and, and that that'll be uh, where where we go. Uh, it it is it is uh, abundantly clear that uh, there is uh, widespread uh, public support uh, in the United States for these uh, red flag laws, not just the laws, but the actual uh, enforcement of it. And, and, and Hugh is right on that. Uh, and in uh, further background checks, uh, can't say I'm optimistic, but uh, uh, at least uh, some people are making the right noises now. You know, in the in the last segment with Mariana Hugh, um, she was talking about how uh, on the Hill, uh, among the members, there seems to be uh, this incident is different. Um, the fact that uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has tasked Senator John John Cornyn of Texas um, to be at the table for these talks about what to do. Um, with regard to gun safety, I'm just wondering, do you even think that any kind of deal on anything, anything, no matter how small, can actually happen this time? Well, I think Doug Ducey in Arizona came within one vote 
after Parkland passing a comprehensive and I believe constitutionally sound, uh, they call it a stop order there, a severe threat order of protection that would seek to uh, require uh, hearings to remove the possibility of guns from mentally disturbed people, mostly young. Uh, he failed by one vote. That's why I think combining with spending, uh, the spending clause is what was used when America wanted to raise the um, drinking age to 21. And it was the spending clause. So you're not getting any highway money unless you raise the drinking age to 21 and it worked. The spending clause works, it's constitutional. I think if the idea is to marry red flag laws to uh, constitutionally sound red flag laws, people are very, uh, all the talk of gun control will lead more people to buy more guns this week. I'm not a gun owner and I never have been, but I know that people who buy guns always buy more guns when they hear gun control talked about. Narrowly drawn, constitutionally sound red flag laws married up with the funding to put police officers on campuses and hardened campuses will pass, I believe. Dana, you had a column this week saying responsible adults are letting our babies down. How? <laughs> More than letting them down, they're letting them die. Uh, I mean, we're all talking, of course, about uh, uh, Uvalde this week, but I uh, focused on the uh, hearing over the uh, infant formula where you had the uh, executive from Abbott uh, overseeing that, refusing to acknowledge that there uh, is a, uh, a cultural problem uh, in that company, despite the what the FDA called uh, shocking uh, uh, lapses in their uh, sanitation at this at this at this place, which has had problems with this bacteria going uh, spotted numerous times at this plant going back to uh, 2019, uh, beetles and larvae going back to uh, 2010. Uh, uh, and still sort of uh, a, a very defensive company saying we can't definitively prove that the bacteria that has sickened and killed uh, these infant, infants came from uh, our factory, which of course is besides the point given the uh, serious lapses uh, there to begin with. You know, it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier that there's just a sense uh, that uh, that our government is completely broken now and can't do anything about uh, the most basic things. You know, the, uh, the uh, right has been so successful uh, at uh, uh, wearing down regulation, uh, defunding uh, the FDA's uh, food safety and you know, reducing uh, inspections. Uh, we see this sort of thing happen. It, it, the FDA has asked for uh, the authority to uh, monitor the supply chain of uh, essential things like baby formula and has been denied that by Congress, basically because Congress can't uh, enact anything. And, and now we see the same thing uh, on gun control again and again, and it's rather uh, sickening. And I think, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, anger out there in, in America, but I think there's even more uh, despondency that, that we just, uh, our, our leaders do not have the capacity uh, to react to these daily crises that we're now gripped by. And we've been talking about um, the negotiations here at the federal level, the anger um, at the national level. Um, and we saw what happened in Texas when the anger at the quote unquote local level, the state level um, bubbles over. Um, I want to get your reaction, another reaction this time to Democratic gubernatorial nominee Beto O'Rourke, who confronted Republican Governor Greg Abbott during a news conference on Wednesday, saying he was saying that Abbott was, quote, doing nothing 
to stop the next shooting. How, well, what your reactions to that and how effective was it? Hugh, you go first. Did you say me, Jonathan? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I thought it was disgusting what Beto O'Rourke did, uh, politicizing that moment with parents in the room and law enforcement in the room. And I stand with the uh, law enforcement officer from Uvalde who called him an SOB for exploiting a moment of intense pain. Uh, at the same time, I want to go back to what Dana just said. If the problem is protecting, and, and I, like Joe Manchin, I got a fourth grade grandchild, a second grade grandchild, and two, I got a double coupon grandchild day last Friday, uh, 100 miles apart, but I, two new grandkids. I'm worried about this just like Joe Manchin is. I want to stay focused on school safety. I want to stay focused. I don't want to talk about the FDA today. Dana and I have some, I can talk to him forever about the FDA. But if this issue today is school safety, Harden schools, put police officers on them, stay focused on the issue, do not politicize it and say, what can we do? Doug Ducey's report after Parkland was the most comprehensive surveying of educators, psychiatrists, psychologists, edu uh, uh, police officers that I have ever seen done. I would recommend it to everyone to go find it, done by a Republican in consultation with Democrats. It's a model for how one approaches the problem. It just need we need to stay focused on school because we remember Sandy Hook and now we remember Rob, we remember Columbine and Parkland. That's because the casualties there were astonishing and grotesque. And we have to stay focused on that, not on talking. All right, um, Dana, I wanna get your reaction. And yes, let's stay focused on, let's stay focused on schools. I wanna push back on this idea that what Beto O'Rourke did was quote unquote, uh, disgusting since he's a public servant and he was expressing the concern and outrage of the public. But also we're now finding out, Dana, that the timeline that was originally given to uh, the people in Nivalde and thus the nation is completely wrong and that there are some serious questions. So in, to my mind, what Beto O'Rourke did was channeling the anger, very legitimate anger of parents who we now have seen through video that have, that's been um, aired on television of parents pleading with law enforcement in real time to do something and they didn't do anything. So all that to say, yeah. your reaction to what Beto O'Rourke did well, and um, the reaction of those parents uh, given the conflicting timelines. Well, look, I think if we're going to use words like disgusting and grotesque, let's apply that to the massacre in Uvalde. I think you can say that uh, what Beto O'Rourke did is a stunt uh, that I've been covering stunts for a quarter century on, on, on both sides. Uh, I, you know, I think there's been a lot of uh, sort of saying, you know, the Democrats or the left are jumping in to politicize a, a shooting. And then at the same time, you're seeing uh, Greg Abbott. Uh, continuing with a fundraiser on the very night uh, of that massacre. You're seeing uh, the NRA open its convention with 14 acres of guns as it boasts uh, in Houston, a few hours drive uh, from Evalde with uh, former President Trump, uh, apparently with uh, Abbott, uh, with Ted Cruz, uh, uh, all continuing with this, uh, you know, 14 acre uh, orgy of guns. So, I mean, there is a lot of politicizing. I, uh, I like to hear uh, Hugh Hewitt talk about what he thinks, you know, something uh, constructive uh, could be on this. I, and I think that's exactly where uh, we need to be right now is putting out ideas, any ideas 
that we can that we can get the, somebody to do something rather than shouting each other. But I look, I think uh, Beto is speaking to uh, a very legitimate uh, uh, rage and uh, frustration. It's just despondency. Uh, I, you know, I don't know that he should be uh, heckling at news conferences. On the other hand, I don't know what else anybody can be doing now since we just seem to have been shouting into a void since 1999 on this. Mm -hmm. Let's switch gears and talk about uh, some of the primaries that took place on Tuesday and zero in on Georgia, um, where the Trump-endorsed candidate for governor, David Perdue, lost by more than 50 points in his effort to oust the incumbent governor, Brian Kemp. So, Hugh, does this say more about the strength of Kemp or the weakness of Trump and Perdue? Well, uh, Brian Kemp's a very good governor and a very good candidate. He's been on my radio show. I like Brian. He was supported by Chris Christie, Doug Ducey, many other Republicans who want to support good governors doing good things. Also note the Secretary of State won handily and, and doesn't even have to face a primary. What it shows us is that President Trump's endorsement is worth about 10 points. That's what got Oz into the showdown with David McCormick. It's what got J.D. Vance the nomination in Ohio. But it also has a uh, an offsetting effect among the Republican base. Some people do not want the return of uh, relitigating 2020. I am among them. I think that is crazy and uh, a bad way to go about prosecuting the case against Democrats in 2022 and their election. I think the Republicans will win the House unless they fall into that trap. And everyone who believes like I did got a bunch of evidence on Tuesday night that relitigating 2020 is not the way to win an election in 2022. And Dana, you had a column this week basically saying that Donald Trump is becoming an even more dangerous force in American politics. Talk more about that. Why? Yeah, and I want to be careful and say I don't think that Trump is weaker in the sense that I mean, look, he's already won these primaries in the sense that you know, uh, you know, we're all uh, MAGA <laughs> Republicans now uh, in these uh, Republican primaries. So in that sense, uh, Donald Trump has already won the war. I think he may be uh, losing his ability as a uh, kingmaker. Uh, you know, the ability to pick and choose uh, candidates uh, in Republican primary. So that's where the weakness is coming. I don't think it's overall in terms of uh, the force of Trumpism. That's uh, as strong uh, as it has ever been. But, you know, look, we had uh, him on uh, Truth Social, his uh, his would be uh, Twitter killer, which hasn't quite worked out. But, you know, uh, uh, sharing this notion of uh, civil war, uh, uh, which, you know, you've you've heard, uh, of course, from uh, uh, various uh, uh, groups on the right uh, involved with the insurrection. You've heard it from some backbench uh, lawmakers like uh, Green and Cawthorn, but now you're hearing the former president uh, uh, invoke uh, civil war. So that's what I mean is if he perceives uh, that he's losing uh, his clout, he may become more desperate and more extreme and therefore uh, more dangerous. We don't need a former president of the United States talking about the idea uh, of civil war. It is, I think, a more of a real danger uh, than, a, than uh, most Americans would like to uh, acknowledge. Uh, but it's not, it's not something we need uh, the former president whipping up. All right, we've got less than two minutes left. Um, we got a, real fast, um, Hugh, and hopefully Dana can squeeze you in. Herschel Walker, the, the football star, backed by backed by Trump uh, and did win the, the Republican Senate primary in Georgia. He'll now face Democratic incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock in November. 
this race could determine the, the control of the Senate. Does Herschel Walker stand a chance? Some of the videos I've seen of late um, shows him not to be quite ready. I don't know, Hugh, real fast and then Dana. In Atlanta last uh, fall, he, uh, he got a learning curve as being a candidate, but I think he ought to run a Joe Biden campaign, stay off of the stage as much as possible because the one thing I learned at that event, don't get between Herschel Walker and a Georgia Bulldog fan because you're gonna get run over. I think he's gonna win handily. Dana, real fast. Look, it's very easy to say candidates like Mastriano in Pennsylvania and Herschel Walker by conventional standards would never win. But we have learned in this era uh, that you never say never. Uh, that that is exactly that is exactly true. Hugh Hewitt, Dana Milbank, we got to go. Thanks for coming back to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with First Look, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.